0: Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of HashiCast. We have Jackie, our newest developer advocate, and Jono, our first digital developer advocate. Before we jump into our regular segment, I'd love to learn more about what's happening with our HashiCorp user groups. Let's check in with Rosemary, one of our developer advocates. What's up, Rosemary?
1: All right, so here we are with Dave. He is the organizer of the Milwaukee Hug. Hi, Dave, I'm glad you're here to join us on this Hug segment today.
2: Yeah, hi, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited. So tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what's fun in Milwaukee?
2: Sure. Um, So I, uh, yeah, I've been working in IT since uh, college in the mid nineties and uh, it just kind of, my career has grown since then. And I've done a lot with uh, some web design in the early days of the web, moving into helping run an ISP in the early two thousands. And for the last 18 and a half years, I have been working at direct supply um, starting in their help desk and working my way up to uh, chief engineer on their cloud team. So um, outside of doing IT stuff, uh, I've got a family, three kids between the ages of five and 15. that keep me running constantly, uh, which is a good thing. Um, I'm a lot, really involved in, uh, in their school organizations, PTA, scouting, stuff like that. Um, yeah, Milwaukee's a Milwaukee is a fun city. Um, there's always stuff going on. Summertime is amazing in Milwaukee if you're into live music. Um, yeah, it's just a neat, a neat culture, a cool city to live in for sure.
1: That's awesome. When I go, now I know exactly what I'm going to do over the summer then. <laughs> right. So you mentioned that you started from help desk. And you mentioned before as well that you were a data center engineer and you reinvented yourself into a cloud engineer. How did you start that process? What was the journey like?
2: So yeah um I've been working in the data center here at Direct Supply for more than a decade uh, specifically focusing on data storage and data protection um and over that time our storage footprint exploded and had a 30,000% uh, growth over that time so it went from managing a few you know servers with some disk attached to managing multiple SANs and multiple locations and and you know lots of replication and you know, availability, architecture, things like that. Um, and we we hit a point in our data center life cycle where a lot of the equipment that we've been buying during this kind of phase of hyper growth was up for life cycle. And it didn't make sense for us to make big investments in physical data center anymore and start expanding our physical data center footprint. Uh, the public cloud had matured itself enough to where it was viable for, You know, tier one applications and and the availability and the the tool set available in the cloud was far superior to what we were going to build in our own data center. So the business was talking about making the shift to the public cloud. And I went home one night and fired up a free AWS account. And I, I sat down at my dinner table and I said, okay, I'm not getting up from my laptop until I've got a Windows server running in the cloud. I'm going to stay here until I figure this out and 8 minutes later i was done and i looked at it and i said you know there is nothing that i can do to walk back into the office tomorrow and advocate that my team should put up resistance for what's capable and possible in the cloud there it's it's no longer a matter of if i'm going to work in the cloud or play with the cloud it's a matter of when i'm going to be building in the cloud and it was it was an overnight the the light switch flipped for me and i i came back in the office the next day and kind of took on the role of like cloud cheerleader for for the infrastructure group, um, and and just kind of went from there.
1: Yeah, I, I it's amazing. I mean, eight minutes. I don't know if that's a record, but I feel like we need a leaderboard now for all right? the times for how many <laughs> like, how long it takes people to spin up Windows Server in the cloud from scratch. So that's really right? cool. And you're now or recently a community hero, correct?
2: I am. So I. Uh... So I got involved here kind of in my own team, kind of helping people figure out the cloud. And then as we started expanding our cloud development efforts and bringing more people into our cloud migration project, I was, you know, did everything I could to help them kind of figure out what they needed to do to be successful early on um, and kind of get that that first few steps into the cloud and, and be successful. So... I started doing that, and along the way, uh, I made friends with our AWS account team, and they made some introductions with some people who work on the storage team at AWS. And what started off as, as I think was intended, as just a customer meet and greet, turned into an architecture and roadmap session with one of their senior VPs, um, and it went far beyond the boundaries of what we thought our our meeting was going to cover and the time we had allotted. And uh, I walked out of there and. and Within three days, I was connected up with the storage team at Amazon that was designing a lot of the storage products that I was working with. Um, And so part of that story is that I had built some automation to deploy their file gateway platform before it was a supported feature in Terraform. So using a mixture of Terraform and some bash scripting and kind of a, a process that runs back and forth between the two, I was able to fully automate this deployment and they took notice of that and started sharing my source code with other customers and other accounts. And then they said, hey, why don't you come meet us in Chicago at our big summit and you can present on how you automated this file gateway platform and how you're using this repeatable code to deploy file gateways across your organization. Um, so those friendships led to being invited to participate at reInvent and present my architecture at reInvent. And that led me to a place on some of the product advisory boards or they call them birds of a feather groups. Um, I guess the product advisory board name is reserved for the very top level. Um, But I was invited to help give feedback on their storage roadmaps and working directly with the storage teams. They nominated me uh, as the first AWS community hero for storage. So I earned that honor in September of last year. And uh, man, since that happened, it's been a crazy wild ride of neat experiences and getting access to things that, that, I didn't even know existed before that. So it's been really cool.
1: That's so cool. That's so amazing. And in all of that, in all of the full-time job, plus the kids, plus being a community hero for AWS, how in the world did you get involved with the Hug program?
2: So um, it kind of ties into the automation I built for the, the storage gateway. I had been playing around on Meetup, and I found that we had actually a, a Hug here in Milwaukee. And a guy named Justin had organized it, and uh, he's an Azure guy. So he had hosted the first meeting of it, and I had got an alert that said, hey, you just missed the first, you know, hug in Milwaukee or whatever. So I reached out to him directly, and I said, hey, you know, I did this automation thing. I do a lot of Terraform in AWS. Would you like me to bring some of what we're working on to the next hug? And I can can present a little bit on how we're using Terraform in AWS and what we've built. And he said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Let's grab lunch and talk about it. So we sit down to lunch, and he said, yeah, I'm just going to make you a co-organizer of the group and let you kind of run with this. And, you know, he works in a very small office, and my office has space where we can actually host events. And, uh, you know, I, I, the hug is not the only thing I organize. So I've also been a scout leader for the last decade. And like I mentioned, I'm really involved in PTA at school. And And I was just kind of raised that if you're going to get involved in something like don't just sit at the back of the room and take notes, like get involved in something and and participate. So, um, so it ended up that Justin's wife and I knew each other from way back in scouting. And so he just kind of said, Oh, you already know how to run meetings. Here you go. And uh, so he's still very much involved and helps coordinate some of the Azure stuff, but um, it's my office. That's doing most of the hosting of the events these days. And uh, you know, I've pulled together several of the meetings and the, the content and the stuff that we're doing. So.
1: That's so cool. I love hearing how all of the skills you were using to organize, uh, you know, all of the, the kids stuff actually applies to the HashiCorp user group, too. That's really oh, for cool. sure. That's the first time I've heard that.
2: I, I think the other piece of it for me, too, is that, you know, when I had some, some really solid mentors kind of early on in my, my trying to figure out the cloud, and I feel a responsibility to kind of pay that back to people that are still trying to figure out their path into the cloud. So a big part of it for me, too, in, in being an organizer is that it's a it's an opportunity for me to give back to the community because I've gotten so much from the community already. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, that's amazing. And I noticed as part of the Milwaukee hug, you do some hands on labs as well. It's not just talks. You were saying, you know, sometimes you have to get hands-on and not just sit in the back of the room and take notes. So what inspired you to do more of the hands-on meetups rather than the lecture style?
2: Um, So a couple of things. Number one is that we have a really great partnership with our local HashiCorp account teams, and they are extremely supportive of our hug and, and helping us find new members and helping promote the group. And, uh, one of our our local guys came to me and said, "Hey, you know, I've got this this set of labs we could do. What do you think about organizing like a HashiCorp immersion day and ordering a bunch of pizza and having everybody come in early and and we walk through, you know, a full stack? How do we deploy everything into AWS?" And uh, immediately I was on board with with doing that. Um, some of the other stuff we've done has been kind of walking people through a progression of how to evolve their Terraform code from you know the very basics of you know i'm going to stand up an s3 bucket or an ec2 instance to deploying a full web stack out in aws and it's really the, the code evolution is not that complicated um, it's just letting people kind of be familiar with it and working them through kind of the evolution of growing that platform so
1: yeah it's something different when you internalize it and your hands to keyboard you know understanding the patterns and approaches while exactly. you're doing it on that. yeah that's
2: absolutely important.
1: Cool. Well, we're coming up on time, but I have one final question. For Do you sure. think be able to tune in to the virtual conference called Hashi Talks on February twentieth?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. We're promoting it both within our hug uh, and here on the office as well. So we will absolutely be tuning in.
1: That's awesome. I know it's twenty four hours. I will probably not stay up for all twenty four hours, but some people might. So
2: <laughs> Right.
1: <laughs> Who knows? Well, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. And it was really cool to get to know you and also feature the Milwaukee hug. Thanks, Dave.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rosemary.
0: Thanks. As I mentioned before, we have Jackie and Jono on the show. We'll get some introductions and chat about their experiences with HashiCorp tools. Let's start with Jono. Tell us a little more about yourself.
3: Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Sosolska. I go by Jono. That's like Bono from U2, but with a J. You'll see me as the newest digital developer advocate, and basically what that means is my whole focus is to better the experience that everyone has online through the forums, through our digital outreach programs, and through programs like this. Outside of using and loving HashiCorp tools, my favorite things to do include going on hikes, camping, as well as fire safety education and fire performance education. In my free time, I like to make sure that people who play with Fire understand how to be safe with it and try and put out fires when I'm at work. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Nice. Thanks for that introduction. Jackie, what did you do before HashiCorp and what inspired you to make the jump into developer relations?
4: Before I answer that, I just have to say that I regret that my answer is not as fire as his, but... (laughs) Before I came to HashiCorp, I was working in the digital healthcare space and I was trying to make sure that patients could um, reach doctors virtually, that hospitals had their best practices for different types of diseases and how they would handle that in the hospital and kind of working as a DevOps practitioner to support all of that. What made me really get into being, I guess, a developer advocate or into DevRel was, I guess, like I started because I didn't feel comfortable speaking in meetings. And I wanted to get over that and like kind of face my fears. So I started speaking in actual like meetups and like lunches and then spoke at a conference. And I really loved it and I found it life changing. And I really like this space and how supportive everyone is. And I feel like we just need to talk more. And that if as a community we came together, we could build way better things.
0: Nice. So, Jono, as our first digital developer advocate at HashiCorp, Can you tell us more about what you'll be doing in your role and how you'll be helping the community?
3: Absolutely. Within this role, there's several areas where I'm going to be focusing my energy and effort. First and foremost is on discuss.hashicorp.com. I encourage everyone to go sign up, make your first post, and start poking around because that forum is going to be our central hub for a lot of our responses, how we interact with practitioners around the world, and how we can all help collaborate to find the solutions to the things that we need to accomplish to do our jobs every day. Outside of just the forums, I'll be also participating in HashiCast as well as the HashiCorp live streams. Highly recommend that everyone throw those on their calendars as they're fun, educational, and oftentimes will get you answers to questions that you may not even know you had. Aside from that, I encourage everyone to reach out to me either on the forums or through the social networking sites. So that way we can talk about what are the th- challenges that these tools are overcoming, as well as other things that people want to see in our tools in future releases. My major goal is making sure that we are more connected, not just as practitioners and advocates, but as people to solving the problems that we run into every single day and providing solutions that just work. So if there's anything I can do to help, please feel free to reach out. I'd be more than happy
0: sounds awesome. So, Jackie, we recently wrapped up completing this year's Hashi Talks, which is a 24-hour virtual conference. What was it like getting to be involved with that?
4: The Hashi Stack has been such a foundation for almost the the majority of my career. So, it was really cool to be involved in an event like Hashi Talks. It was really neat being able to be an MC and sharing in on the experience, talking to the speakers behind the scenes and helping people to feel comfortable sharing the story. Overall, it was a really good experience. I loved it.
0: Nice. So sounds like you guys have both used HashiCorp tools in the past. Can you talk about what that's looked like in your past roles?
4: So working in healthcare, there's always a lot happening all the time and making sure that things are really stable was critical for us because it could be the difference between a patient getting support from their doctor or being able to get their prescription. Um, We used Packer, Vagrant and Terraform to be able to build more stable environments both locally and in the cloud. And that was really key for us to be able to deliver on that, deliver our products.
3: So on my side, I've predominantly worked with Terraform and console in one of my previous positions we leveraged Terraform to write a custom provider to provision dashboards that our customers can use when spitting up internal services. We also use Terraform for the infrastructure provisioning aspect, but then also focused on the CICD applications. One of the infrastructure pipeline projects that I worked on was how to make a distributed team collaborate on provisioning environments without clobbering each other. We leveraged everything from private Terraform registries to Terraform modules, both of which would now have been substantially easier with the uh, advantages gotten by Terraform Cloud. Aside from that, using console, uh, the way that I was originally exposed to it was a lot different than most, We leverage the console store and a custom written Python client to have a remote executor for our agents to apply configuration and configuration management tools in customized ways, rather than leveraging conventional configuration management tool. Between the two of them, I've really seen a lot of what some practitioners can come into, specifically around how do teams work together to use and uh, coordinate Terraform runs as well as some not-so-standard cases of consoles stretching across multiple continents and how that communication system can work.
0: Those both sound awesome. So both of y'all have been in the position now for a little over a month. What are some of the resources you've used to help learn about all the different tools that we have and what you're focused on?
3: For me personally, one of the things that I've really appreciated are the learn guides that our education team has put out as a practitioner, as well as someone who goes through and contributes to those guides, I see myself coming back to them every day. They start with really core fundamentals, but are also well networked to some of the deeper components, especially around console that allow me to be able to set up and configure my applications quickly, but also start responding to other individuals. Aside from Learn, I liberally use Discuss with its search features and tagging that allows me to go through and start looking for problems or issues that may be similar to the solutions that I'm trying to create. Outside of that, one of the things that I love, not just about HashiCorp on a whole, but on the practitioners that use the products. If I go through and ask a question in any space, including outside of the Discuss space, there's a myriad of people who at the very least participate in the conversation, but also have some very imaginative ways to create and define solutions. So between the community, the learn guides, and those who are just passionate about what we are trying to build on a whole, I've had an abundance of resources, which I don't know many other places would be able to provide.
4: I can't believe it's already been a month, but going into that, I think John really covered a lot of those. Uh, the only one I'd really add is that the YouTube channel has been really good for me. We have a lot of high quality short videos that really explain what's going on and made it a lot easier to grasp things that I didn't already know. But yes, yeah, so I'd plus one the Learn Forums as well as our community. They've both been absolutely amazing for coming on board. Nice.
0: Speaking of our YouTube channel, I, how have y'all? been leveraging live streams and things to help interact with the community
4: well i did my first HashiCorp live stream recently and it was really neat being able to go through the discuss forums and answer people's questions live rosemary and i had a really great time trying to figure out how to get terraform into a deposed state and it took us forever but it was the first time i think i've ever cheered breaking terraform <laughs> um otherwise it's been it's been really good. Like It's really nice. It kind of feels like pair programming with the internet where you're learning stuff and people are coming by to help you out. And it just generally feels great.
3: I've personally enjoyed going back through and seeing the evolution of a lot of products, uh, especially console, with how rapidly HashiCorp's able to push out new products. It's a good way to track not just the evolution, but the, the changes that start to come out of the products over time. Um, It it also helps to be able to see, for example, if I'm seeing a feature that's been released several years ago, I can also go through and type that feature into YouTube and see if there's been updates to that content. And so leveraging the things natively within YouTube to search for pre-recorded resources helps me because I'm a visual and kinesthetic learner. So I prefer having the ability to go through and stop videos, practice what I want, and then pick it right back up, which is for other people's learning styles, quite beneficial if you can't just sit there and read what you're trying to accomplish.
0: Nice. Okay, so you mentioned learning about new features and going back and looking at the history of them. So as y'all have come on board and started learning more about our tools, what's a feature that you wish you knew more about before you started and that you think other people should know all about?
3: So I'm going to go ahead and take this one first. Um, there are two sets of tools and features that I personally enjoy. Within the console world, one of the things that I'm really excited to see is the evolution of the different types of gateways that we've enabled within console and the most recent set of features. Outside of console and particularly, one of the products that I'm really excited to get involved in is Nomad, the scheduling system. And so getting exposed to new technologies is one of the most attractive and exciting parts of any new job and looking at how I can round out my skill set with Nomad is a really exciting opportunity.
4: It's funny because I think we're picking the same products that we're going to talk about here, but um, my very first one, my first moment of, oh my God, why didn't I know about this last year? was with console connect. So last year we spent weeks trying to get our Kubernetes network policies updated so that they would do exactly what we needed them to do. Because again, healthcare, so we needed everything to be very like private and restricted. And it literally took weeks and it was either all in or all out. Like you either had it completely right or it was completely wrong. So being able to install that with console and then just change it in the UI was mind blowing for me. So I was like, I don't have to deploy this. Uh, My second one is that for the last year, two of my friends have been trying to get me to look into Nomad. Like they've been like, you need to look into Nomad. We're doing really cool things with Nomad. You need to look into it. And I didn't actually realize until I started that you could use Nomad with things that aren't containers. So that's really small. But to me, it was kind of like, oh, this would have made things like bridging the gap between our legacy products and our like Greenfield new Kubernetes products so much easier, especially with both of them. So.
0: nice. For those listening in, can y'all describe and talk a little more about what Console Connect is and some of the things you can do with it, as well as Nomad?
4: I will do my best. (laughs) Disclaimer, it's been less than a month, but I'm doing my best. (laughs) So, Console Connect, you can deploy as a sidecar. So what's really cool about it is in the configuration, it's just a one later, one liner where you toggle it to say, connect true. And it just deploys and it just works. It just finds the services for you. It's not like you have to be like, hello, service A is that IP address 123 at this port. It just finds it and routes it and does the load balancing for you, which I thought was really neat. Um, I actually haven't installed Nomad yet. I'm waiting to do that on the live stream. So my answer would just be the first one still is (laughs) that I had no idea it doesn't need, like it doesn't need containers to run 100%. (laughs)
3: For me personally, one of the things that I appreciate about console and Nomad integration is that with the workloads that I schedule within Nomad, I can instantly do the service registration with the deployments to console by leveraging console connect. I don't have to worry about whether my workload natively uses console libraries. I have the proxy that I need sitting in front of my application and it integrates quickly. So I don't have to worry about different workloads having different deployment methodologies. My deployments are uniform. They're able to be processed across all of my different providers at the same time. And with automatic service discovery, I can start leveraging them right away. I don't have to wait for a deployment window and work through that process of configuring that for every deployment. One of the things that I think most people tend to miss about the entire HashiCorp stack is how different products create synergies between themselves. And over the next year, you're going to see a lot of highlights specifically around the different types of synergies that our products can leverage to make everyone's workflows substantially easier.
0: Okay. So now that y'all are both inside of HashiCorp... What are some of the things that you're excited to get to work on
3: oh this one's hard because there's just so many different things i think one of the things
4: i'm sorry i didn't mean to derail you
3: totally fine I, i think excitement breeds excitement so we're all excited about this for me personally one of the things that i'm really excited about is seeing enterprise adoption of In my last position, I spent time as a DevOps Dojo coach and you get exposed to a lot of boots on the ground challenges that development teams have to deal with day in and day out. As enterprises adopt new technology, there is a learning curve, there is a ramp up time period and a lot of things break and that process of learning and growing is painful. So one of the things I'm most excited about is to affect the most amount of change as I possibly can, I want to go out there and see how the tools are being used, see how things break celebrate the breaks, and use that information to help make it so that not just for those instances, but all the instances following, people have the answers for what they need. And we can move forward together in collaboration rather than competition.
0: Awesome.
4: There's so many, and it's so hard to pick just a couple. I feel like I could talk about this for an entire podcast, but um, I guess to start, what really got me into DevOps and DevRel was being able to see the big picture and fix all those pain points. So I'm really excited to hear what our practitioners are doing, what they're trying to do, what they want to do, and what's holding them back, and be able to be a part of what helps them to move forward. I'm also really excited to uh, install Nomad and start doing some live streaming. I'm hoping to go from day one and just be able to share the experience as far as how it installs, how it runs, and be able to help build better content so that we can help people to get onboarded with that. The other thing I'm really excited for is I found out that I'll get to rotate onto either the engineering team or maybe the product release team. And I cannot wait to see what things look like behind the scenes and to work with them before I come back to doing more advocate work.
0: So when you rotate over to those teams, what will you be focused on and what will that look like?
4: I have no idea, but I can't wait.
3: (laughs) I'd like to chime in on that real quick. One of the things that I've personally enjoyed is seeing the growth and development of CI over time. I'm really excited to see the CI process that goes into building our tools and being able to participate in those successes as well as troubles for all those who've worked with any sort of pipeline automation systems. So I'm particularly interested in seeing not just the design methodologies, but the reasons behind it. And for anyone who wants a really interesting set of conversations, I'd love to talk to you about trunk-based development versus Git flow.
4: That was like our day one conversation. (laughs) He means it. He really does. Please reach out to him.
0: Why don't you give us a quick overview of it?
3: In many particular instances, a lot of people have leveraged GitFlow to varying degrees of successes. But for most teams, a simple trunk-based approach for creating their applications is enough to get through creating your artifact and deploying it to Artifactory. There's many different methodologies for what happens once the artifact is in Artifactory, but by going through and changing where your management layer around your CI code is actually executing. You lower the operational burden and keep from slowing down the release process. I'd love to hear about how other people have made GitFlow work before. For me personally, I have some absolute horror stories, but I would love to try and see, hey, are there instances where it does work better? What's worked well? What's broken terribly? And the horror stories that come of all of them.
0: Okay. So if people want to talk to you more about that, how should they reach out?
3: My email address is jono at hoshicorp.com, or feel free to tag me on the discuss forums and be happy to see you all in the digital space.
0: Awesome. So the inner ops person inside of me loves a good war story. I'm sure you both have some great ones. Care to go ahead and share some of those?
3: Yeah, so I'll start. Um, Within my career, I've had the wonderful privilege of working for one of the Fang companies. That being said, I have also learned a lot from said Fang companies. One of them is manage your terminal windows better, because you may just pseudo-sue reboot on a production DB that impacts a million, no, sorry, a billion users at any given point in time. I'm incredibly sorry to all of those potential lost uh, media files from that particular instance, but suffice it to say, I now no longer have more than two terminal windows open at any given point in time, and I echo my host name. No more pseudo reboots. Also, I didn't know that apparently it scares people if you pseudo rm-rf slash dots, or sorry, dot slash star, but... That may or may not have been in my batch alias. I'm sorry.
4: Oh my God. <laughs> How do you follow that?
3: I thought I was on the DevDB, okay? It's a lesson I learned. I bounce back from it. It's never happened again. Isn't the saying in DevOps, you only make one mistake once? I've no, you automate
4: them it. and you make them a thousand times first. <laughs>
3: Yeah, no, I'm never automating any reboot process ever. Yep, no, nope, no, nope, yep, nope, nope. Suffice it to say, Terminal Windows, export PS one, put your host name in there. I promise, takes fifty seconds to com- customize your Bash profile. You'll you'll love it. It's great.
0: I can vouch for that one. Every server I log into, I have the host name in, and used to have a script that would actually put production in red for production boxes made similar mistakes
3: and you only do it once
0: yeah only do it once (laughs) so jackie what about you
4: how do you follow that um okay mine's gonna be a lot less dramatic now but that's cool. We're fine. Um, so when I was still really, really new into my career, I was the only ops slash security slash DBA slash build the pipeline slash supporting 300 developers on my own. So I'm sure a lot of people in ops can relate to that. because I think it's like a pretty common start where it's just trial by fire. And uh, I'm going to talk about the day that I thought my career was over, aka the day I learned about security. Um, so basically somebody came up to my desk, one of the devs and was like, Hey, devs down. And I'm like, okay, I'll take a look into it. And I'm like, oh, all the servers are running. Docker containers are good. And I go into the database and, uh, this was the end of 2016. So I don't know if that lets people know where I'm going with this, but I open my MongoDB and I get. Your data has been ransomed, send Bitcoin to this email. And I go, Oh no. Um, so I turn around and I go, what about stage? And he's like, yeah, I can't reach stage either. And now I'm like, I'm sweating bullets. (laughs) So I'm like, how about pre-prod working my way up slowly, but surely. And he's like, no, no, no pre-prod, no pre-prod either. And I'm like, oh, production. (laughs) So I go to production and it turns out that it's totally fine because we were hosting it with a different service. So it was configured differently. And, um. I ended up going to my manager and it ended up being fine because we didn't lose any data, but it was really scary. And it was kind of like the day where I learned about a lot of things. I learned about the importance of VPCs because I had disabled them after enabling them when I saw that we didn't have any because our dev team was like, I can't reach the database anymore. You're slowing us down. We just have to wait until we understand it's better to implement it. So I really thought it was helping and it was kind of like not helping really. <laughs> So I kind of, I learned a lot there and that's like probably one of the most defining moments of my career, like do backups, do security groups, <laughs> follow best practices. That's also the day I learned what best practices are. Cause I Googled this like, <laughs> so that's probably the most like defining war story I have. And I'm really grateful that it didn't have like lasting impact.
0: Wow. Those are some <laughs> uh, good war stories there.
3: <laughs> Can I just piggyback off of that for one second?
0: go for it
3: for anyone who's listening to this who's in a managerial position and think that it's okay to have less than two ops people at any given point in time I would like to very kindly say that you might want to reconsider that decision so for me personally Jackie one of my very first roles was a 7 by 12 by 365 rotation which meant that from 10 a.m to 10 p.m I was solely responsible for five production environments and 20 non-prod environments. And my counterpart, who was one of the most patient and loving, compassionate individuals I have ever met, took the 10 p.m. to take an a.m. shift in Hyderabad. We needed more people. Ops is hard. Tools make it easier. Problems still come up. Please don't do 7 by 12 by 365.
4: I didn't even know there was rotations until like four years in my career. So people would be like, we have rotations. And I'd be like, you're not on call 24-7. It's like that meme where they're like, wait, you're getting paid? <laughs> Except like rotation.
0: <laughs> what are some technologies outside of the HashiCorp tool set that you're excited about and look forward to getting to learn more about or use?
4: I'm gonna not answer within the constraints of this question, because normally I would pick tools because I have a problem that I wanna solve. And that's when I get really excited about solving the problem. But right now my problems are more like learning our tools better. So I'm really excited to learn more about Nomad, (laughs) surprise, Um, because for the last three years, I've worked extensively with Kubernetes and Docker Swarm And I felt a lot of pain points that were different between the two of them. And I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing what playing with Nomad feels like, how it fits in, and eventually doing a contrast with the three of them. I'd like to try and deploy the same app and then evaluate it based on developer experience, security, effort to get production ready, stuff like that. So I think that'll be fun.
0: Nice. I look forward to seeing that comparison. What about you, Jono?
3: For me personally, one of the things that I'm looking forward to is working more with kubernetes i know it's a very hot button word but particularly one of the challenges that i've seen is around compliance recently there was an open source tool that was released called road r-o-d-e which uses the Graphius api to do attestations for different events as well as code signing for your artifacts coming out of builds As we deal with more and more enterprises, seeing the different ways that different compliances measured as well as different levels of uh, trust are assumed within different networks, it's really interesting to see how these solutions are happening. The rate at which microservices are growing really exceeds the speed that most security teams can respond to. So leveraging a better culture and tooling process around guaranteeing our artifacts is going to make not just the product that we're working on better, but also help in highly regulated environments like healthcare or banking.
0: What is something that you're surprised about in your current role now that you're here that you weren't quite expecting?
3: So one of the things that I was not necessarily expecting out of the gate is just how many high quality positive interactions i've been having within the company and outside of it i have to say that our practitioners are some of the kindest most intelligent people out there and being able to interact with them in a collaborative way rather than feeling like you're sitting across from a table and talking about a product is really much more enjoyable because then it feels more like an adventure rather than something salesy so i really appreciate everyone having really genuine interactions um,
4: so I've got two, and the first one's a little bit of a sad surprise because I was planning on doing some hashi Stack talks this year at conferences. And after I started working on the HashiCorp team, suddenly my talks weren't really okay because now they're vendor pitches. And so that was the first surprise I got where I was like, no, what do you mean? That's That makes sense, but no. Um and my second surprise was like after I did a lot of reaching out into the devrel community and some one-on-one interviews and talking to people to try and level set before I did my interview and understand what I was getting into and a lot of the impression I got was that everyone was going to be so so busy all the time but my second surprise is that even though everyone is so so busy and we're all over the world the team has been so amazing for and like supportive Like, even if it's just like, hey, I need help with this tweet response because I think maybe it's not right. And I know this isn't like even that important. I've had tons of people be like, do you want to hop on a call? Do you want to talk about it? How can I help you? And even with the more serious things, I've had this like just very supportive level that I didn't expect from everybody. So that's been great. Nice.
0: Since both of y'all have just recently gone through the interview process, what is some advice you might give to someone looking to join HashiCorp?
3: For me personally, I I have to say that I dealt with imposter syndrome. I've heard it talked about in our community, but it's something that is very, very real. So I'm only going to speak about my personal experience. One of the things that we feel or that I personally have felt gets devalued in our current corporate structure is each person's personal excitement level their emotional attachment to the things that they're working on day in and day out. It may seem cliche, but if you're not doing what you love, why even do it? In a similar way, I had to remind myself quite frequently that this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. For me, I get fulfillment out of pairing with and coming alongside practitioners and helping them have that elated moment that I got it, it makes sense now and I'm better for it. So what better way to do that than with the tools that are used almost everywhere in the world with companies of all sizes. It's really inspiring to be able to now on the other side of the interview, feel not just a personal sense of accomplishment of where I am at, but also an excitement with what the future brings. And so I highly encourage everyone to apply, if only to have the practice of interviewing through the process, but also to see what the quality and caliber of the types of people you're interacting with is because it can be really refreshing to then return back to those spaces wherever I'm working and be able to bring that same type of energy and positivity.
4: Nice. And what about you, Jackie? Um, I'm also going to speak about imposter syndrome. So for me, I, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, I've used so many hashi Stack tools in my career. They're such a foundation for me. So when a friend suggested that I should pl- apply for not only a HashiCorp position, but also a de- Dev Advocate position, I was just kind of like, no way. There is no way this is going to happen. And it took about a week of various people being like, you need to do it. Like, you need to do this. Like, I know you love this company. You would love working there for me to be like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going all in on this. I'm going to do it. And um, I've joked during the interviewing process that writing my cover letter was kind of like writing a love letter. It really was. This was like a dream opportunity for me. So it was so scary to kind of come now. I kept being like, maybe in three years, maybe when I'm ready, maybe when I've done something else that's more deeply technical that I can show to prove that I deserve to be here. And it's just imposter syndrome is such a thing. Like the longer I'm in the industry, the more I learn that everybody has it. So my advice would be whether you're applying here or your dream job is somewhere else, do it, go for it. Like you never know how it's going to turn out. And even if you don't get it, like you're going to learn so much and it will help you to get the job or get the opportunity next time.
0: I think that's some really great advice for people. So Jackie, you mentioned upcoming events and giving talks. So what are some of the upcoming events that y'all are most looking forward to that are coming this year?
4: oh this is hard this is so hard there's so many um the very first one is devops days toronto for me that's a really big place it was like a turning point it's where i did my first talk i got so much support going into it so i'm really excited to not only be speaking again there this year but also to be helping our new speakers i'll be a little bit involved with the speaker coaching sessions also they give speaker coaching sessions this is great um, and on top of that, I'm really excited to go to the Hashi events. I haven't been to one before. I can't wait to see what it's like. I think there is a bunch of other ones. I just, I'm really excited for all of them. Nice.
0: What was it like giving your first talk?
4: Okay. So I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I am so scared of public speaking. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting over it. Like I mentioned, I did this to try and get over speaking in meetings. <laughs> so I, I woke up the day of. And this is not going to be the most motivational thing I say, but I woke up the day of, and I cried. It's the very first thing I did. And I was so scared. And I was like, I wish I could back out of this. Like I'm speaking in, uh, I think it was like four hours. Um, I went, I did my talk. It was 20 minutes short or not 20 minutes short, five minutes short. There we go. So it ended up being short, I freaked out, but then I did it and just, I came off thinking that like, oh, it was probably too fluffy. Nobody liked my talk. And it came off and there were so many questions and so much feedback. And it was really nice to hear that people actually got things from it and that my experience did help them to learn things. And that kind of kicked off this career, I guess now where I'm moving into Dev Advocacy and I really want us to be able to help share. So that was kind of a long answer, but DevOps Days Toronto was kind of magical for me because it was like this light bulb moment of like, things matter. I do things. They've helped people. This is great. I want to help more people.
3: So
0: Nice. What about you, Jono? Which events are you excited for?
3: So, historically, I've gone to larger events like reInvent or KubeCon, both of which are really great events for the scale of it, one of being in DevOps and talking about scale. But I think what I'm most excited about is the local HashiCorp user group that i've started here in pittsburgh one of the things that you lose going to larger events is the sense of what your local community is actively doing and as we move to more and more remote cultures making connections locally are the second half of the same coin while we espouse a remote first methodology here that doesn't negate the value that face-to-face interactions have and so it's a really exciting opportunity to start interacting with more people and seeing more paradigms of what people are doing and how they're doing it. So I highly encourage everyone to look for their local user groups and get active in them, not just from a socialization aspect, not just from a technical aspect, but from a way to give back to the larger community. It's been a really valuable experience so far, and I'm looking to running more of them.
0: It's awesome. Before we wrap up, I have one final question for both of you. So this one is slightly less serious. And so my question for you is, if you were an animated character, which one would you be and why?
3: Okay, I'll take this one to start. Mine's pretty straightforward. The character is Terry McGinnis from Batman Beyond. For anyone who is a Batman Beyond fan, one of the reasons that I love Terry McGinnis as a character is because his story arc, especially with where the comics were at at the time, reflects that anyone could go out and be a Batman-like character. Now, to be totally fair, I'm not encouraging anyone to dress up in spandex and go running around at night, but the ability to be there, think critically, Push yourself as an individual to try and meet some higher standard was always really encouraging. And through that TV show, I gained an appreciation of how technology can literally give us wings and move us forward, not just as an individual, but as a society.
0: Okay. And what about you, Jackie?
4: Okay. So I was not prepared to answer this question, but that makes it more fun because the answer just like jumped into my mind. So I really wanted to be Raftalia from The Rising of the Shield Hero for Halloween. And that's what jumped into my mind. But the more I think about it, the more I really like it. Um, there's a couple of fun backstories here. The first one is that when I was working as an ops person on my own, we used to break a lot of things, which meant Jackie stayed late at the office a lot of the times and the devs felt really bad because they didn't know how to help me. So on days when I was staying at the office, they would always send me gifts of red pandas. I know she's not quite a red panda, but it's kind of close, so we're pleased. (laughs) But um, the other thing is that she came from a background where there was a lot of things that just went wrong for her, like really wrong. I won't say more about that if you haven't watched the show, but she kind of pushes past it and she's really strong and cool and loyal. And she's just, she's a lot of really great things that I think I would like to be as well. So she'll probably be my Halloween costume this year.
0: Awesome. So I think for myself, if I had to pick a character, I think I would go with Merida from Brave. So, you know, I relate to her story a lot, you know, being expected to do one thing and just ignoring that and going out and doing your own thing and doing it the way you want. So that really, I, I can relate to that. So Jackie and Jono, I'm so excited to have had both of you on today for And I look forward to future HashiCast where you are the host. Thanks again.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Have a good one.
0: You have been listening to HashiCast with your host, Nicole. Today's guests were Jackie and Jono from HashiCorp. Be sure to tune in next time.